Uh, so, Caleb, if uh, that didn't light your fire, your wood's wet, brother. That song, as you think about the power of Jesus, that is really, and, and this is the thing that we, we need to think about as we think about worship. There's something special about the corporate gathering of believers where the Spirit of God is and He's moving. And that's something that we, we don't want to uh, we, we don't want to take for granted, but we also want to be intentional about that. Um, speaking of the, uh, the app that was just there on, on the, the video, uh, if you have your cell phone, I'm going to give you permission here. Will you pull out your cell phone? And if you don't have the church app on your phone, there's a QR code here. It'll take you to a landing page. You can download the app for free. If you've got um, uh, kids already in kid, uh, the, the kids' ministry, or maybe you're in a small group, there's already a profile built for you on Planning Center. It's going to ask you for your cell phone number. It takes about two or three minutes. Just upload that. Even while I'm preaching, you can do that. I'll give you permission today, all right? Get this, get this app on your phone. It's important because we're going to start highlighting and using this app more and more for sign-ups, for event registrations. For example, at the end of the service today, you're going to hear about Project Christmas. There's already a tab on there under the events for Project Christmas to let us know what you want to be a part of. As we do Life Action coming up in the spring, there's already ways that you can sign up to be a part of hosting with Life Action that's already on there. Uh, there's resources for small groups. That's where we take attendance for our home group already on our, on our church app. We just need as many people as possible to get this app on your phone. It's free. Uh, it'll help us to have a communication piece with you. It's a good way to have uh, constant, you know, information at your fingertips of what's happening around here. So please get that church app on your phone. That'd really, really be helpful for future things to come uh, with our church as we're going to use that more and more. Um, so as you, as you kind of see, something's a little different already beginning today. Uh, and over the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about the four values that we really hold to as a church. So we're going to call this family values because these are our family values uh, of the, the, the family of Christ here, the, the family of God here gathered at East Pickens. And what we, what we like to highlight, those four things, worship, connect, serve, and share. So today is about worship, and that's why I've got Caleb here. By the way, Caleb Baker is our worship pastor. Uh, they do a great job. Yeah. And you'll see other, other folks up here leading uh, worship. Uh, but, but, but Caleb is the one who's uh, coordinating and pulling it all together each week and, and leading those folks who lead us in worship as well in the different services. And so I thought it'd be helpful to bring Caleb up here to just have a small discussion before we really get into uh, the message today. We're going to be in Psalm 63, by the way. But I do have a verse that I want to key in just in our conversation. And something he and I have been talking about uh, this week is uh, John chapter 15, verse 4. And I'm going to read it to you out of the ESV version because it uses this word abide. I think it's really a neat word here. Uh, Jesus said, these are red letters here in John 15, 4. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he is that will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So this picture of abide, it means to live with, to do life with. It really is a, a, a sense of making your home with. He says, make your home with me. Jesus says, make your life with me. Do life with me. Abide with me. So as you hear that, even as a worship pastor, like how does that, what are you hearing as you think about abiding in, in Christ? Yeah, I, I just, I hear just staying connected to him, just walking in lockstep with him in this life. And uh, there is joy in walking with him. And I know that... Uh, but I think there's more to it than that. And I want to challenge everybody in the room, really, to think through, what does worship look like for you? Because I hope it's not just what you do on Sunday morning. There, there really needs to be a sense of, 
I'm doing life with Christ. I am in Christ. I'm in communion with Christ. And so I guess what I want to help kind of frame for our folks is what does worship look like Monday through Saturday? We got Sunday morning knocked out, right? We understand Sunday morning. But what about, what about that preparation piece or what does it look like Monday through Saturday uh, to worship? Yeah, I mean, you said it. If, if our walk with Christ um, can be summarized by four songs and a sermon in this room, we are completely missing out. Yep. Um, if we're walking with him during the week, this room should be a celebration of all that he's done in your life Monday through Saturday. Yep. You bring that into the room with you. And uh, I think so many times we come into this place and, and we feel like we're trying to conjure up something or, 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 or getting the spirit moved. But the spirit should already be moving in your life Monday through Saturday. And as you bring that in, this time is a celebration of us as a family of all that God's already done and is, is doing in our lives. So, um, yeah, I think if, if, uh, if you're just looking at this room as your walk with him, oh, there's so much deeper you can go and you're missing out on so much. Well, there's a danger and not preparing to be in this room. And I want to challenge everybody in the room for just a minute. I want you to think through, what have you done to prepare yourself to walk in this room this morning? Or did you come into the room, kind of like you walk into Walmart to get a gallon of milk, you know, like, oh yeah, I need to go get a gallon of milk. Like, you didn't really think about it much, you know. It's just a, a pattern, I walk in here. But is, there's a preparation to this, you know. Like, we think about offering up to God in worship, you know, the sacrifices of praise, we think about our hearts being aligned to him. And so I think, I mean, really there's, there's some rhythms to get us in the right mindset. And again, I want to challenge each of you to prepare yourself. Prepare before you walk in the room. Because I think Monday through Saturday plays into this room. If, if you walk in this room and you're just kind of expecting to be given things, you're being expected to be poured into as opposed to, I'm walking into this room to give something. I'm walking into this room to give something back to God. I'm walking into this room to demonstrate to God something, you know? I think there's a, a lot different. So what are some rhythms, like some, some rhythms of life that we can implement to just get ourselves ready and prepare ourselves to be a, have a heart of worship throughout the week? I, I would challenge everybody in the room, if you don't already do this, um, start your day out with prayer and praise. Um, I can't stress to you how, how your day will be different if you'll just stop in the morning and take a breath and go, okay, God, I'm dependent on you today. Uh, would you put people in my path that I can speak to? Um, you know, just pray and give him, give yourself over to him. Uh, and then even, you know, everything that we take in in our day, like when you listen to music, I mean, obviously we have a choice uh, in what we listen to. And I think listening to worship music is, is great, but also... Uh, turning that into communication with God as you as you hear these songs, turning those back around and singing them to Him. Uh, if it's a song about His goodness, then turn around and going, God, You're good, and and I'm singing this to You today because You're good, and um, and and staying in constant conversation uh, with the Father. That's something that I strive for uh, in that morning prayer when when you pray to Him and you give Him your day. Don't just say Amen and then hang up the phone and not talk to Him anymore. Um, walk with him. I know for me, I find myself many times, uh, I walk into the doors of this church and sometimes I forget and I feel terrible when I do, but, but you know, some of those days I'm sitting here thinking, okay, God, you know what's about to happen today and I, I give it to you. Anybody I talk to, anything that I do today, I pray that, that it would be you and not me. Uh, so just staying in constant conversation with him and uh, just 
walking with him. So the picture that comes to my mind is like teenagers now and they do homework on FaceTime together. You know, like they got the FaceTime open and they're just doing homework together, which is odd. It's kind of creepy for us older people, but there's a constant sense of contact there, you know, like we're just opening up this FaceTime together. The, the, other, the other picture that comes to mind is, is meditation. And don't let that scare you, okay? I know that's like Eastern, we think about Eastern religions, but it's, meditation is where you set your heart and your mind, right? So like this idea that I'm going to concentrate, I'm going to spend my time, my focus is going to be on God. So that comes through, you know, meditating on the word, you know, um, you know, Nick's been challenging all of us on staff to memorize scripture and to spend time in scripture. I've got a, a, a passage right now that I'm working on. It's my, it's my screensaver on my phone that I just, that's the first thing that pops up when I, when I turn on my phone. It's things like that, putting, putting scripture in our path, um, spending time in, in a quiet moment, re- reflecting on God. Um, and I know quiet is like hen's teeth in most people's life. You know, it's really hard to find. But to make space for that, and to be, be still, be still, you know, uh, Psalm 4610, be still and know that I'm God. There's something about stillness and creating like this quiet space uh, to be able to, to focus because we get so distracted so easy. But that idea of meditating, I mean, think about, I mean, again, this idea of meditating on Christ, meditating on the word, meditating on who he is, spending time in prayer. Those are all rhythms that I hope, I hope folks are cultivating in their life because I think that actually... You bring that into this room, what you've done Monday through Saturday. It affects what's happening uh, throughout, the, throughout the week. All right, guys. Uh, thanks, Caleb. I appreciate it. Turn to Psalm chapter uh, 63. And uh, this is a psalm um, that David, King David wrote. And uh, one of the church fathers, his name is John Chrysostom. He was around. He was the Archbishop of Constantinople. In the year like like around 350 to 480, so like just a few centuries after Christ, and he actually recommended this psalm, Psalm 63, uh, for Christians to actually read and meditate on every morning, which I thought was fascinating in church history. And you're kind of kind of see why this is important here. But he, he he referred to this as an essential psalm for us to get our heart and our mind right. And so it's kind of cool to think about this was used by our our Christian ancestors for many centuries uh, to point them uh, in their hearts in the right direction. So maybe, maybe just maybe this little psalm will help us to, uh, to think about what worship looks like. And I want to try to, again, kind of point you toward what uh, a lifestyle of worship looks like, not just in, on Sunday morning, but, but, but how that might enhance what happens Monday through Saturday, but also what we bring into the room and what we're about as we worship. So Psalm 63 uh, starting in verse 1. This was written by uh, King David. And it says in my little uh, subheading under Psalm 63, it says something about David writing this in the Judean desert. So all my Bible scholars, I want you to think about when was David hanging out in the desert? Okay, just think about that as we're reading this. Verse 1. David says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, underline that, on my bed, I remember you. I think of you throughout the watches of the night. 
Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of the liars will be silenced. Now, as we're thinking about this psalm, I want you to think about the author. The author is King David. King David was an interesting dude. He's a renaissance man. Not only does he wrestle bears, but he writes poetry. You know what I mean? Like, he's a warrior poet. He's a king. Uh, he's a herdsman. He, he's, he's an interesting guy. And what we have in the psalms is actually David's journal. David is writing poems. He's writing songs about his life and from his life experience. And so even here, there's some context here to why he would write this psalm when he wrote the psalm. But this actually, think about that the psalms are the hymn book uh, for the Jewish people. And so this song was used as a means of worship, as a means of, of crying out to God. And here's King David who's writing this psalm as we're kind of giving some hint here as to when it was. It says in the Judean desert. But I want you to think about, again, why King David's in the Judean desert. There's actually two times that we know of uh, that, that David was hiding out in the desert. Now, again, as you're thinking about this, here's some this picture that I found of, of the Judean desert. I mean, think like Star Wars, all right? Think like landscape. Uh, it had already, already been established. Uh, King Saul was not having that. Okay, he wanted to take King David out. And so King Saul is pursuing David as a young man to try to destroy him and his ascendancy to the throne. And so David runs out into the desert. He has a couple of exchanges with Saul that are very interesting, obviously, in the caves. As things are trying to cool down, he's just trying to stay clear from Saul. And so this is a, possibly the time that he wrote this poem. The other time that he possibly could have wrote the poem is the second time that he's hiding in the desert, which is much later in his life. After he becomes king, his son Absalom, if you remember this story, Absalom tries to overthrow his dad, and David runs for the hills. He runs out into the desert as he's being pursued by his son, Absalom, in a rebellion. In either one of those scenarios, this is a poem, this is a song that is written out of a desperate situation for David. It's in this moment of desperation uh, that David is longing for consolation from his father. And this psalm or this song expresses in a beautiful poetic way his need. His need is to be with God. His life is in jeopardy. He's being pursued by his enemies, even those who are closest to him. And he needs God to show up on his behalf and to defend him. And so this explains the intensity of what David is saying in the first seven or eight verses uh, of the context. Go back to the end of this chapter, uh, verses 9 through 11. Again, what he's saying here, those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him while the mouths of the liars will be silenced. Again, David here is in jeopardy. His enemies are pursuing him, and so he knows he's in trouble. So where does he go when he's in trouble? He goes to the one who he always has gone to day in and day out. We'll get there in a minute. I don't know about you, but sometimes that's when I turn to God is when I'm in trouble. 
I pray that's not the only time you turn to God, but for many of us, it's kind of like the fire, the fire alarm. You know, he's the one we go to uh, when everything hits the fan, right? When it's about to go down and life's in trouble, that's when I go to God. But really, he should be more than that. He should be more than just an emergency escape hatch. There's a, there are, are patterns here that David is describing, but he's saying, hey, I'm turning to you, God. And by the way, this isn't the only time David turns to God, as we're going to see here. But he's anchored here as things uh, going around him and things is, is sinking around him. He's anchoring himself in the Lord. He says, I need to be, I need to be in this place with God. Go back again to verse 1. He says, you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Again, this picture here of the desert is, 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 is already laden in the first verse. He's, he's saying, I need God. I need to be in God's presence I need, to, I need God to, to, to interact with me. I need to be affirmed in him, just like somebody who's in a desert. I mean, think about it. He's, he's in this desert. He's hiding out. Now, again, um, I mean, I've been, I've been to the Judean desert before. It is it, all that it, you see here in the picture and more. It is hot. It's a dry place. There's, there's nowhere to find water. There are some oasis here and there. But literally being, you know, miles away from, from anywhere that you could find water and the real thirst hits you. Anybody been real thirsty? I'm talking talking real thirsty, where your mouth is parched and you realize there's nowhere to get water for miles and miles and the tongue, your tongue is sticking to the roof of your mouth. And it's funny, when you're, some of y'all are like, I see you right now, you're like, ah, 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 sorry, coffee's in the back. But anyway, um, you're parched and it's crazy, when you're in that place, all you can think about, (laughs) your focus is, I need this thing. I need this thing to be satiated. I am so thirsty. It overwhelms your thoughts. And this is where we have David describing his desire, his need for God. I I need God to survive. I need to be in his presence just like someone who's in a dry and thirsty land, a dry and parched land where there is no water. He says, my soul is thirsting for the living God. I need to be in his presence. I need someone to satiate this need stat because if not, I'm as good as dead. I need intimacy with God or I am sunk. Do you? Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you were in that place? When's the last time that you earnestly sought after the face of God where you were pursuing him to the point, if I don't have him, I don't know what I'm going to do. Does he have your thoughts? Does he have your actions? Does he have your heart? Are you seeking after him? Listen, if you're not seeking after him, what are you seeking after? Because you're seeking after something. And what's crazy is, is what he just, is he telling us this in verse 1? You can run after a lot of things, folks. The world will offer you lots of things to try to bring you satisfaction. But David knows this, and he's telling us this in verse 1. The only place to find that kind of satisfaction is in the presence of the living God. And I have to have him. I have to be in his presence. It's like a thirst welling up within me in a dry and thirsty land. You know what? That might be why everybody around us is unsatisfied. You ever thought about that? It might be why everybody around us is looking and chasing after all these things that the world offers. It's funny, they call people being thirsty and thirst traps and stuff like that. They're seeking for attention. They're seeking for that thing that might satisfy this thirst in their life. And the only, listen, the only thing that will satisfy the deep longing of the soul is intimacy with God. Listen to this from St. Augustine. A quote from St. Augustine. This is actually from his autobiography, which was the first autobiography in the Western world, by the way. He said it this way. He said, speaking to God, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, 
and our heart is restless until it rests in you. You have made us for yourself. In other words, God, home is with you. Home is in your presence. Home is where I feel at peace. Home is where I am satisfied. And I will be restless until I am with you in your presence. Otherwise, it's not right. Things around me are not whole. There will be a longing in my heart until I rest in you. You are made for worship. You are made for intimacy with God. You need to create those kind of environments in your life where you seek after the face of God, knowing that nothing else will satisfy. Hear David as he's crying out in verse 1, Lord, my whole being, Lord, my soul cries out for you. I'm longing for you. I thirst for you like a man traversing through the desert in need of that water for my soul. If I don't have you, I am empty and dying. Worship is an acknowledgement that if I don't have the Lord, I've got nothing. It's a declaration of dependency upon God. Listen to this from Psalm 84.2. David writes, my soul yearns. It even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. There is something inside that says, I need to be in the presence of God. I need to be with my people even. I mean, verse 2, go to verse 2 of Psalm 63. He says, I have seen you where? In the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. This is the second point. Worship is corporate. There is something about the gathering of believers here in this room. Maybe you're new with us. Maybe you've been out of church for a while. And hopefully over the last 25 minutes or so, you've got a taste of, of this thing we, we have, this beautiful thing we have as the people of God gathered where two or more are gathered in his name. The Spirit of God is there. And there's something beautiful about this. And there's something beautiful that David had experienced in corporate worship. Now, where did David go to worship? He says in the sanctuary. Well, this is before the temple. This has to be during the time of the tabernacle. Remember that David's son, Solomon, is the one who built the temple. David didn't have, didn't have a place, a permanent place. He had to go to the tabernacle. He brought the ark to Jerusalem at some point to try to establish a place of worship. He didn't have a permanent house for that. But, but there is still a sense that David was gathered together with his people. He, he knew that when the nation gathered together and in that place, in the tabernacle, in that place around the ark, there, there was a special time. There was a special sense of wonder. He says, I beheld the power and the glory uh, when I'm there gathered with my people. I, I need to be in the sanctuary. I need to be gathered with other people. I pray that our corporate times together as the body of Christ here, that there's still a, a same sense of God's power and God's uh, glory as we gather together the community of faith. I pray there's a special sense that God is with us, that corporately as we gather together as this collective uh, family of God, we get to experience the power and the glory as God is put on display in our midst, as we talk about his deeds, as we brag on what he has done, as we sing songs to him, as we unpack his word, when we see lives changed and when we walk out of these doors and on mission for God so that others might see God's glory that radiates from us, there's something beautiful about the gathering people of God. That's why you got to make it a priority. We live in a very interesting time of convenience. And if you're not careful, you'll kind of look at corporate worship as a convenience and not as something you need. 
I need you to anchor this time. I need you to anchor these moments. You need this more than you know. You need the gathered people together. You need the Spirit of God among us. You need to see and, and see God prove himself faithful in times of worship like this. You need this more than you know. David is actually describing here in the next few verses, and go back to Psalm 63, a posture of worship. And he's listing off two ways here that you need to be involved as you gather together in this corporate body of believers. Go back to verses 3 through 5. David writes, because your love is better than life, my lips, look at this, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. In your name, he says, here's another posture, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. My singing lips, uh, with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Let's look at verse 4 here, this verse in the middle first, as he describes this position of of worship. He says, I'm going to lift up my hands and I'm going to lift, and this is in the sanctuary, this is in the corporate place of worship. This is this posture here that's described here of raising his hands in, in worship. Now, I was raised here at East Pickens, and East Pickens has changed a lot from the East Pickens I grew up in. But the East Pickens I grew up in, I mean, there was like verbal expression. I mean, people would say amen, and we see a, a raised hand every now and then, but it was, it was pretty, pretty reserved at, at that point growing up uh, in this church. And I'll never forget... When I was in college, I went away to a campus ministry, and it was in those times of worship where outward expression was encouraged, and I, I realized uh, something was, was missing for me, that, that there was something beautiful as I gathered with the people of God to, to raise my hands in worship. It was a, a demonstration, and I had to change my understanding because for so long, there was a self-consciousness. Maybe, maybe you're there. Maybe you've been there before that this, I don't want, I don't want others to think about me in a weird way. But I had to overcome this to realize, you know what? I'm not lifting my hands for anybody in this room. I'm not lifting my hands for my neighbors. In fact, that's the reason why I sit up here on the front row, because I don't care what people think about me. I'm pretty short. I'm not hiding, I'm not like hiding anybody's view. But I'm going to lift up my hands, and I'm going to praise God. And I want you to think for just a minute what that posture, as he says here, I will, I will gather, I will praise you, I, I will lift up my hands to you. I want you to think, what is that communicating to God? It is Because it's not a communication for anybody around you, when you lift up your hands, what are you doing? It's, it's a communicate. It's a signal to God. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little hint. Uh, my kids are much older now. When my kids were little, and I would come home from, from work, and my little ones, you know, they were like this, and they would come to me as I came in the house, and their little hands would do what? <laughs> they shoot up. And they're kind of looking, I just, I could see it now, their eyes, just looking up at me with their hands up. And this, it's hit me as I have become a father, this picture here. What is, what is that child, what is that child communicating to their parent when their hands shoot up like that? Hold me close, draw me closer, you're up there, I'm down here, I want to be closer to you, draw me closer to you, I want to be where you are, I need you, I want to be close to you, and I'm going to tell you, that's what I'm telling God when I stand in this room and I lift up my hands to him, because I need him, I want to be closer to him, I want to draw close to him, and this is my way of saying, Dad, I need you, I need you in this moment, I don't care what anybody thinks about me, I need you in this moment, I love you, I want you to draw me closer to you, because I want to be where you are. The other posture we see here is in verses 3 and 5. It's kind of simple. It's what we think about worship, really, but maybe this will challenge somebody here who's not singing on Sunday morning. Verse 3 says, Because your love's better than life, my lips, nobody else's, but my lips will glorify you. 
I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Again, this is in the corporate body as they're gathered together. Notice here uh, that David is describing his engagement in singing. And I just want to challenge you. If you come to this room and you don't come to sing, something's wrong. <laughs> just try and some of you are like, well, I don't know those songs. Those are new songs. Well, prepare a little bit. We put out a worship set every weekend on social media. We actually have a Spotify uh, playlist we put out there on our Spotify channel, if you're into that thing, that has all the new songs that we're working on that we're about to have on Sunday morning. Do a little preparation. Work on it. Learn these songs. Uh, be ready. Come into this room ready. Because uh, I'll say this way. It's an easy environment when you've got a loud band and you've got folks on stage who are singing with microphones. Sometimes it's just easy to kind of sit back and just listen to what's happening. But you know, and we're challenging our folks on stage even to say, look, you're not here to perform for anybody. You're here to lead in that. And, and we have missed the mark if people aren't singing along with us. We've talked about this a lot, Caleb, is we want to draw people into worship. And so you need to think about this. I don't need somebody worshiping on my behalf. I don't need a surrogate. I need, I need to be engaged. These people on stage are not here to worship for you in your stead. They're here to lead you. And you're like, well, I don't know the songs. Well, let's work on that. Let's work on, on learning the songs. Let's throw ourselves into this. Let's prepare ourselves. Let's come ready. Let's come ready to sing out. Let's come with our hearts ready to sing upward to God. And I, I've determined I'm not going to let somebody else worship in my place. I'm going to stand here and I'm going to sing these songs. I'm going to raise my hands. I'm going to tell God how much he means to me because that does something for my soul. And this is the significant truth here that David says, when I'm in that place, when I'm singing songs, he says, I am satisfied. Look at verse 5. I am satisfied as with the richest of foods. In other words, it does something for my soul. When I'm engaged like that, when my heart is lifted up, I am satisfied in the depths of me. When I'm here to worship, there's something powerful and reaffirming when I'm gathered here. And so what do we learn from that? Well, number one, you need to be here. You need this. You need this more than you know. You need to be with the people of God. You need to be in here and singing His praises. You need to be engaged. This is life-giving. I, I say this, the world out there is a desert. It will suck the life out of you. You need to be in a place, gather with the people of God, where it is life-giving and God, you experience God in a fresh way, where the power of God is unleashed, where the Word of God is explained and cherished, and where the, the people of God are lifting up His name. This is your tribe. These are your people. You can be in this place place and be, be vulnerable. You can be honest before God. Come here to worship corporately as the body of Christ so that you can grow and that you can have that kind of intimacy with God. And so you've got to schedule your life around these moments. Turn down other opportunities because you need to be here so that you might be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. And if you don't have this, you're going to dry up on the vine. You need to be like a thirsty man wandering through the desert. Get me to water. I need to be with my people so that I can lift up my God and have my tank filled. Is that you? Is that your heart? To, to say, I got to be here. I need to, to bask in the power and glory of God. I want to spend time in this gathering. And again, that Sunday morning is, is important. But as we said with Caleb, there's also some preparation and some personal worship that needs to happen in your life. 
And I would say that Monday through Saturday plays into how you experience Sunday morning. Go to the back to the Psalm 63. Look at verse 6. He talked about the sanctuary earlier, but what does he say in verse 6? Where is he worshiping now? On my bed. Verse 6, on my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. He's talking to God. Because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. This is, a pri- this is, G- this is David describing his personal private worship. Verse 8, I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Yes, worship has a corporate sense. Yes, we gather together regularly. But worship is also a posture. It's a, a lifestyle. It's, a, it's, it's, it's times of intimacy with God that we cultivate throughout the week. Even David here says, in my bed, when I lay down at night. You know, there's this magical time at night. It's very short for me. <laughs> but I fall asleep really fast. Uh, but when you lay down at night and it's like really quiet, and really still, and it's the, listen, it's the last thought of your day. It's like the last thing that's on your mind before you go off to Betty by land or whatever it is. That, that, that last moment, he says, I think of you. And sometimes he says, I even get so enraptured thinking of you that I, I can't go to sleep. I spend time through the watches. That's the different times of, through the night. He said, I think about you. Why? Because you're my help. And I sing to you. He's talking about not in a corporate sense. He's talking about on his own privately. I'm singing songs to you, God. I'm speaking to you, God. I cling to you. I'm finding myself in your protection. I remember, where's David when he writes this psalm? David's hiding out in a cave somewhere. He's in a desert land. He's being pursued by his enemies. But he says, I am so safe. I'm like singing under the shadow of your wings. That's like a picture of a mother hen with her baby chicks underneath her, her wings. And she's protecting them and she's looking after them. Here's David being pursued in the, in the desert. And he's saying, I'm going to sing songs to you even though I'm being pursued in this desert place. Because you are protecting me. You've got me, God. You've got my situation, God. And I'm going to cling to you. And I'm going to tell you what I'm going to cling to you. And I'm going to think about you. I'm going to set my heart and my mind on you. I'm going to worship you in my bed at night. I'm going to worship you wherever I find myself. I'm going to engage the Lord in the secret place, in the quiet place when no one else is watching. No pretension. No distraction, just you and your thoughts and God. Can I be honest? Some of my best times of worship are not in this room. They're not. They're in my shower. They're when I get off alone with God in the woods. When I'm walking through my neighborhood by myself and I got the praise songs on or I've got a verse in my mind or when I'm on a a, a vista somewhere and hoping nobody's around because I'm singing a hymn to God out loud that's when I'm in the car and that's sometimes that's the quietest place and I am I'm just raising one hand I'm not raising two hands I promise and I'm not closing both eyes maybe I close one eye but I'm (laughs) don't close them both for long maybe that's at the red light for a short time but but I'm being still I mean I want you to take it I want serious I'm going to challenge some of you if you're not doing this daily Take a challenge for me. Do 10 minutes this week, every day. Find 10 minutes, mark it off. If it's the first 10 minutes, if it's in the commute, if it's in your shower, whatever it is, those 10 minutes uh, that you are going to say, I'm going to dedicate some time 
just me and my God, and I'm going to spend some time with him. I'm going to listen to scripture. I'm going to read scripture. I'm going to pray. I'm going to meditate on who he is. I'm going to thank him for my life. I'm going to thank him for what he's doing. I'm going to cultivate this, this bit of, of, of rhythm of worship in, in my life. Again, he's, he's saying here, I, I trust you, God. I'm acknowledging this. I'm spending some time here because I need you. He's practicing a dependence upon the Lord in the quiet place when nobody else is watching. <laughs> He's in the desert by himself. Do you have, do you have a rhythm like that? Are, are you carving out time of intimacy with God? A, a person, do you have personal worship? Is there private worship? Because again, I would say if you're not spending time Monday through Saturday, you're walking in here you know, cold on a Sunday morning, having not thought about God or spent time with God between those Sundays, man, it's gonna you're gonna be it's just gonna be dead in here for you. Maybe maybe you've blamed the room and you hadn't taken on the onus yourself for what your worship is like, your worship experience. Because I'm gonna tell you, it ain't about the volume and it ain't about the band and it ain't about the words. It's not about the singers. It's about our hearts. It's about our relationship with God that we bring into this room. And that's what I want you to think about. I want to challenge you in this area. So I've got this little chart to put up here. And we, we created this a couple of, about a year or two ago. The Discipleship Growth Plan. And I know it's micro print. I get that. I'm sorry for you in the back. We have hard copies of this, by the way, at the next steps area in the back. But you can kind of see along the matrix here. They've got the X and the Y axis here along the... Uh, did I get that wrong? Which one is this? Why? Thank you. Yeah. Why? Access is worship, connect, serve, share. Our four values. Worship, connect, serve, share. And then along, along this axis is exploring God, new believer, growing Christian, mature disciple, servant leader. Now, I'm going to talk through all four of these over the next four weeks. But this first line is where I want you to think about for you personally. I want you to be able to put a finger on where you are on this continuum in worship. Are you, are you in a place where you're just now seeking, or have you taken some steps? And I want you to think through, what does the next step look like for me as I'm in this place? So, are you, are you just coming? Maybe you've come a couple of times to worship. You've attended. Well, that's, that's a seeker. That's in that place of trying to figure it all out. The next step is, I worship at least once a month, and I have made a profession of faith and been baptized. In other words, it's now becoming a, a regular rhythm, and you have trusted in Christ. Have you taken that step yet in, uh, to trust in Christ and to acknowledge Him publicly? The next step is growing Christian. I worship at least twice a month. I have begun a, a time alone with God. Now, it, some say, well, that's a low bar, twice a month. Barna tells us, uh, does a little research among the Christian uh, landscape in America. He says that the average uh, a churchgoer post-COVID says they go to church 1.67 times a, a month. That's a low bar to me. But this says, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm making a, 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 a conscientious effort to come at least twice a month. That's a growing Christian. A mature disciple. I worship every week. This is a part of my rhythms, unless I'm sick or out of town. A time alone with God has become a common practice in my life. You're beginning to now, that's where that growth comes in, where you're spending time with God, and you're maturing in your personal private worship. And then lastly, a leader. Not only do I worship weekly, but I seek out opportunities through the week to worship. I'm spending time worshiping God. And then my time alone with God is essential to my life now. That's what we would, how we would kind of quantify those things. These aren't, it's just to try to help you to think through where you are in your life. So where are you in this continuum? Are you uh, still, still seeking? 
Are you a new believer? Are you growing? Are you a mature disciple? Or are you a leader? And if you could put your finger on that one, what is the next step? What does the next step of growth look like for you? What's the next step that you need to take an engagement so that you might grow in this area of your life? Because we're always going to be pushing you to not settle for where you are, but to keep growing, keep taking that next step in your life so that you can grow in this area. So for you personally, where are you on this? And what's your next step look like to grow in maturity in that area of your life? A couple things to think about. Do you have regular personal rhythms of worship in your life? Are you committed to corporate worship? Are you saying, I'm going to be at church because I need this. I need Sunday morning. Maybe uh, even as you're thinking about, I need to be here, but I need to be engaged. Maybe there's a level of preparation for you. Maybe you're like, you know what? I am going to learn those songs, and I am going to spend some time. I am going to spend uh, some conscientious effort to express myself more to God in that, in that moment. God needs more of me in that moment, and I want to show him how much he means to me. And I'm not going to worry about what people think about me. Maybe that's another step to take. Maybe you've never surrendered to Jesus. And that's really the primary first act of step of worship is to give God your life. Maybe you need to surrender everything. Maybe you need to tell him, God, I, I'm, a, I'm a sinner. I confess to you I have sinned against you. But I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe he's the son of God. And I believe you died on the cross for me and you rose again. And because you died for me, I want to live my life for you. I commit myself to you. I will follow you from this day forward. I trust you with my life. If you've never done that, we need to talk before you leave this room. Maybe you've done that, but you need to take a step and be baptized and publicly profess Christ. Publicly. We're going to be baptizing again next week. Maybe that's you. You need to take that step and be baptized. 